0: sing hallelujah to the lord sing
1: fun when you get into a study of the Old Testament and how all that fits together. Time just gets away. Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Father, we do want to thank you, Lord, for this wonderful privilege that we have to study your word, to come before you in this time of worship, to allow you to impact our lives, to take us and to touch us, to mold us and make us into that which you'd have us to be, your servants, your ministers in this world. Father, we pray that during this time, Lord, that we might be completely and totally yielded and avail to you, our hearts, our thoughts, our minds, everything that we are, so that you might have complete control of us, to take us and mold us. Father, so that we might, in this coming week, impact this world around us, at home, at school, at work, wherever we are, so that we might be a witness for you and a minister for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this privilege of worship. For it's in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's so much going on in the life of our church and I just want to remind you of several things one of those being the ladies bible study which is Tuesday ladies if you did not get a chance to sign up this morning the, the uh, ladies bible study luncheon is Tuesday at noon in our fellowship hall there should be some yellow slips in the pew rack there in front of you find one of those and fill that out and drop that in on the offering plate in a moment or hand that to a church staff member after the service and uh, we'll have you registered for the uh, ladies bible study luncheon encourage you to bring friends and workmates or perhaps schoolmates to that very wonderful time of Bible study and fellowship together. Um, Also, let me remind all of the church or extend an invitation to the entire church to uh, attend the lip sync contest sponsored by our youth following the service that's going to be in the uh, fellowship hall. And believe me, that should be interesting, a lot of fun right after this service. And please continue to be in prayer for our youth revival, February 10 through 13. Put that on your prayer list. Pray daily for that. Think of people that you need to be inviting, encouraging to come and be a part of the revival services.
2: I'm glad to have our guest tonight. Andrea has her mother here tonight with her. She's visiting for about 30 days, going back tomorrow. She's from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Good to have you, Mrs. Korsh. Other guests with us, we welcome. We'd like for you to remain seated if you will and let us join around you and greet, uh, uh, greet you. Would you join as we greet our guests please? thank you for even the smallest thing that you've given us. We thank you for your mercy. We
1: thank you for how you've expressed it to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We, with pleasure, give to you our tithes and
2: our offerings, and we pray that your richest blessings would be upon this church that we may continue to serve you, but in a greater and greater capacity as days go by. All these things we ask in our Savior's precious name. Amen. Amen. Now if you turn to the book named after him, Mark, not really, to the book of Mark, chapter four, Um, every Sunday night, every Sunday evening, there are those who have not been here before on Sunday evening, and so what we try to do on Sunday evening is kind of do a little teaching type um, arrangement. And use a worksheet, so if you have need for one of these, lift your hand, and we'll get you one. It's kind of helpful, I think, to follow along. Several uh, weeks ago, we started a series on some of the questions that you find throughout the scripture, and using those questions, we just kind of use them as a launching pad, so to speak, to develop some uh, thoughts that center around them and um, found, have found that there are so many wonderful truths that kind of um, spin away from these questions that are asked in the scriptures. And so we're going to co- continue that tonight from the fourth chapter of the book of Mark, beginning at verse 35. And on that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go over to the other side, that is, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it immediately became perfectly calm. And he said to them, here's the question, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? No faith. And they became very much afraid, and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Several questions, really, in that text. And if you'd like to preach another sermon on another one of these questions, be my guest. But the question tonight is, why are you so timid? Ernest Hemingway, the novelist, had a brush with death in World War I. He suffered, he uh, took into his body 273 pieces of shrapnel. He should have died, but he survived. And he never forgot that close encounter with death. He looked down the red raw throat of death. And he believed that that experience set him apart from the majority of the people that he knew he believed that something happened to him in that encounter with death that made him have a different view toward life. He said that most people take life for granted, that they feel you know, toward life, too, that life is too insignificant and too inconsequential, and they take life for granted, feeling invincible, not feeling close to death. And this belief became the signature of his writings, of his novels, and of his works, that if you place a person close enough to death, whether it is uh, to face death in a bull ring, you know, as a bullfighter, he, as you, if you know anything about Ernest Hemingway, he, he had a propensity to bullfights. Or if you placed a person in an encounter with an enemy, that he encounters death face-to-face, that if you get a person close enough to death, it will reveal that person what he's made of and what he's really like. And he said that close encounters with death do not make or break one, they reveal one. And that tragedies do not expose, do not make or break one. They just expose what kind of person he is and what he's really made of. Now no one tonight is a stranger to trials. Everybody in this congregation has experienced some form of trials and no one is immune to the anxiety that always accompanies trials. There are several categories uh, uh, of anxiety. You could divide anxiety into four categories. One has to do with our physical condition. If you have a pain, a different pain in your body that you've not experienced before, you get as old as I am, you start kind of getting that churning anxiety, you know, that stomach acid starts to work. Or if you've heard the doctor say, you know, these x-rays, I'm not real sure of it. Bothers me a little bit. I'll let you know tomorrow what I found out. You have a sleepless night. I'll let you, lo- I'll, I'll let you know next week, you know, so you're going to stay awake for about four days and wait till you find out. Had a little bout with a flu over, over the holidays while I was lying back there in the bedroom near death and y'all were out celebrating, I'm thinking to myself, carest thou not that I perish? <laughs> so if we have these pains that we're not used to, they create anxiety. Second category of anxiety is relational breakdown. A divorce you didn't want. Had a relational breakdown lately? Sometimes they're become they're, it happens in the home, There is a breakdown in relationships between parents and children or siblings. How about at school? And all of these kinds of relational conflicts create anxiety. Somebody has to deal with them. Somebody has to say, I'm sorry. Somebody has to forgive. All of us have to forgive. We all have to face the fact that we have a problem, and that creates anxiety. Third category has to do with legal battles or considerations. Nothing is as terrifying as the IRS, you know, that kind of stuff. To know that you have a responsibility legally that you may not be able to meet. And then there are personal fears. It, it has, somebody has said that you can, you can count and identify at least 200 personal fears. They're called phobias fear of failure and fear of heights and fear of success, fear of disease or early death, and environmental fears like earthquakes and storms, and nobody is exempt from them, neither from the event or the anxiety that the event creates. It's all a part of this life. Um, Nobody is exempt. That means that Christians have, get cancers, and Christians succeed and Christians fail, and Christians have problems, and Christians get raped and rape, and Christians get murdered and murder. No one is exempt. A few years ago, I, I finished a sermon in Seattle, Washington. And the whole point of the sermon was about how that life, you know, the the reality of life's stuff is that we encounter these uh, anxiety, these things that produce uh, trauma. And as I was walking out, this young girl came up to me, kind of shyly came up and said, six months ago, I was taken hostage by a couple of hoodlums. And they held me hostage for a week, threatened to murder me, raped me several times. And she said, I, am, I have not gotten over that yet and I'm sure that I will never get over that and the thing that I don't understand about it all is, is that how could that happen to me, a Christian? My Bible is open tonight to the fourth chapter of the book of Mark. This is a story about some men that are about to sink. This is the story about some men who confront the power of anxiety and the power of God to meet every need. Now the context of any text is so important and it's so important to integrate the story with its context. This has been a full day in the life of Jesus. He has healed he has encountered a demonized man and has set him free. He has taught all day people who are hungry to hear his words, who are on who, who are pins and needles for every word. And verse 34, an unusual thing is said in the context that he taught these parables and then he explained them to the disciples. So they are in this small group and Jesus is teaching these parables And he's turning around and he's explaining what he's taught to these disciples. It's like being in the seminary. And these guys are just getting a load of this stuff. And their minds are spinning. And after about eight hours of Jesus teaching and instructing and clarifying and defining and these disciples are soaking it all up. He says, let's go over on the other side. It is a refreshing moment for these guys. Man, good deal. We uh, give, us, give us a break like being in the seminary. Nothing could be any more refreshing than for these fishermen, these sea salts, to get in this boat and head out from there. And, the, and, and a significant thing is said in verse 36 is that they took him with them. Now, all day long, they have been on his turf. Now he's on their turf. And there could be no place where it's more comfortable for these fishermen than out in the middle of the lake. And Jesus is spent, he's exhausted, so he goes to sleep in the stern of the ship. They too are exhausted, but this is the way that they're refreshed to get out in the water. It's the way they are revived. That's the... That's the context, the setting. Let me tell you a little bit of something about the boat they were in. Now most of the time our mental image of this boat is like a little rowboat, but it's big enough for 13 men to get in, at least 13 men. It is a sizable fishing vessel. It's a huge boat. Now watch this carefully. This boat was sufficient for these men as long as there was no storm. I want you to kind of jot this down, if not on paper, at least on the walls of your mind, not a cliche, listen to this, there is no human provision that is big enough for the storms that come up. Now human provisions are big enough for the everyday things of life when there are no troubles, but human provisions are not adequate for storms. That's the boat they were in. Let me tell you a little bit about the Lake of Galilee. We call it the Sea of Galilee. It's really just a lake. I've been on it, having traveled all over the world. (laughs) I've been on the Lake of Galilee It sits down kind of like you would, if you could envision a saucer of water, it sits down below sea level, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, and out from the Sea of Galilee is this mountain range. Mount Hermon stands 9,100 feet above it, and this little lake, this little Sea of Galilee sits down in that mountain range, and above them, on the, cloud, on the top of the mountains, on top Mount Hermon, it's snow-capped much of the year. And these cool breezes that blow there, 91 uh, feet high above these this warm water, and, and hot air rises, does it not, so cold air must sink. And so the cold air on Mount Hermon begins to sink sometimes through those passageways and comes down into that little basin where that Sea of Galilee, fresh warm water is rising and it just causes an explosion. And it happened often that these men would get out on the Sea of Galilee and everything was calm and peaceful just like it is in your life now. But all of a sudden, boom, boom, and an explosion comes and a storm you can't handle. And so they cried, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And Matthew records this same event and he translates the word perishing. It's the Greek word seismos. Do you, do you care? Don't you, are you concerned? that we are seismos. We get the word seismograph from that. It's a reference to an earthquake. Something's happening in the Lake of Galilee like they have never seen before. Nothing like this has ever happened. They've been riding at this sea all of their life, but no storm, no waves like that one. And the waves are coming in. And just before long, in a little bit, The water's coming into the boat. Now, you get a boat in the sea, that's okay. You get the sea in the boat, you got some problems. And they were having it. Instantly, it came. And they are crying out, I am in peril. Do you not care that we perish? Have you not asked that from one time or another? God, don't you care that I got this big time problem? And Jesus gets up in verse 39 and says that he rebuked, the, watch this, he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, still and instantly it was. Now when you read this from the Greek, you, don't, you need to see these words that are there. It means that there was in one second storm like they had never seen storm and waves higher than they had ever encountered, and the next second not a breath and not a wave. It's what the old seamen call a slick, so that when they looked out of this sea vessel, the water was as slick as glass. You could have dropped a penny on it, and it would have made waves for hundreds of feet. It was perfectly calm. Now we think... We, we, our, our mental image of these disciples is that these men are theological uh, giants. They're not. They're learners. And they have forgotten the lessons in a moment of panic that they had learned that very day from the parables. But Jesus is teaching them a lesson now. They cannot learn in a school classroom. And the interesting thing to me is is that the Scripture says that now they are very frightened. Now watch this. And when they were in this storm like they had never seen before, they were afraid. But when this man stood up and said still, and it was still, they were very frightened because in the presence of that miracle, they knew they were dealing with somebody who was different from any person they had ever known. They were in the presence of of the God of the wind and the God of the storm. And they were quaking. So Jesus asked the question, why are you so timid? Now that's a soft word in English. I used to be and still am somewhat very timid. Surprised to you We we say when a person is kind of shy and backward and um, unable to socialize, we say, oh well he's just timid. Bless his heart. It's kind of a cover-up word. Or bless her heart. Wasn't a cover-up word in the Greek. That word means, why are you such a coward? Now on the bank, when there was no storm. They were heroes. Storms are happening right now. (laughs) We have a little background music here and kind of fit this sermon into. While they were on dry land, they were heroes. Out in the middle of the sea in the storm, they were cowards. Now watch this. You remember what Hemingway said? Nobody will ever accuse him of being a theologian. But the way the storm, what the storm does when it comes in life is reveal what you really are. Now, I have a strong belief that, that Jesus didn't tell us this story so we could little, learn a little story about sailing. I believe there's some analogies, and I want you to write these analogies down, and we'll hurry so we can get out here before this roof falls in. Number one, calm evenings frequently lead to stormy nights. I to tell you this, but oftentimes the trials that come in life come immediately after some success. You ever notice that? That oftentimes, immediately after some great achievement, the bottom falls out. There'd been a great day teaching, healing, delivering and all of a sudden while this group of men were in the most comfortable place they could ever be with experiences they had never had before the bottom falls out. Calm evenings of marriage often lead to stormy nights and calm evenings of the beginning of ministries often lead to stormy experiences. Number two, sudden surprises can intensify to uncontrollable storms. Sudden surprises can intensify to uncontrollable storms. To this point, most of you, perhaps, have been able to control your life especially you young people, and everything has gone just pretty well like you'd hoped and pretty well like you planned, and everything is turning out pretty good, sudden surprises can intensify to uncontrollable storms. Number three, God's silence can be misunderstood as casual, unconcerned. I mean, he's in the boat, asleep, and we're perishing? Let me tell you, one of the biggest trials you'll ever endure is the silence of God. And there'll be times in your life when you're absolutely absolutely certain that God cares nothing for you. Well, let me tell you something. God has nothing to say until he, he doesn't say anything until he gets ready to say something. And most of the time, he doesn't say something until we are ready to hear it. I've, I've observed this, that God doesn't have anything to say to me until he knows I'm ready to hear him. Albert Einstein once went to speak at a university and had a big banquet for him. At the time for him to get up and speak, he got up and he said, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I don't have anything to say to you. And said, down. And there was this stunned silence. And he, so he got back up and he said, "I'll tell you what. If I ever have anything to say to you, I'll call you, and we'll set up another time, and I'll come back and say it." <laughs> About six months later, Einstein called the president of the university. And said, "Well, I've got something to say." So they had a banquet. And he got up. He said it. <laughs> now, when life, what's this little cliche? When you go in and you're riding on a train and the train goes into a tunnel into the dark, you don't jump off the train. You just trust the engineer to take you to the light. There are times when it seems like God has nothing to say to you. It may be because you're not really ready to listen. I mean, these guys are ready to listen now. Number four. Hear this. Impossible situations can be calmed only by the master. Now we're getting down to the stuff tonight of life. There are some situations that only God can handle. And when the storms come, he's never too far away. Max Lucado tells about going back to West Texas Place to preach the funeral of his best friend's father, and his best friend said, told him about the time when he was a kid growing up and he remembered a, a storm came up, and like a tornado, West Texas storm. He said, my, my, my dad got all of us, all, all of our family, my mother and my, child, my siblings got us all in this room, put us under the mattresses and told us to stay there. And he got up and he was watching the storm. And he said, I peeked out from under the mattress and I saw my father out there watching the storm, and he said, I fought my way out from the mattress and went over there and put my, and hugged my dad's leg because I believed that the safest place in that storm was near my dad. Now, the only one who can bring calm in the midst of a storm is the father, and he's never very far away. Now I want to wind this up like this. Probably you may be asking, you may be saying, well, these are all wonderful platitudes, but how do you make it work? How do you make it work? I want to suggest three ways. Number one, refuse to allow yourself to be controlled by the situation. Refuse to allow yourself to be controlled by the situation. God will give you strength. There's an old saying that if there is a man who has money and he meets, and no experience, and he meets a man with, with lots of experience but no money, the guy with the experience Number two, remind yourself of what you believe and what you know. Now these guys were just, they weren't 12 hours out of the classroom. Evidently, they didn't get it. Now let me say a word to high school and college and middle school students. The time to start to learn how to deal with a storm what to do in a storm is while there is none if you wait to try to find out what to do in a storm when the storm hits it's too late while you're young get it grasp it put some roots down and know how to deal with the real issues of life before the real issues of life hits you in the face It's too late then it's in the time of peace in the safe times that you learn how to deal with the storm that's what jesus was talking about when he said you know um, if you hear these words of mine and do them it'll be like a man who builds his house on a rock and when the storms come in other words You you hear his word and you build your life on his word so when the storms come, you stand it. You can stand it. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes writes it like this. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth so that when the evil day comes, you won't have to say, I resent it, I regret it. Remember what you were taught. Put the roots down there. Number three. Replace the fear of the seen for the faith of the unseen. Martin Luther says that the only saving faith is that which casts itself upon God. There's an old poem. It was written um, in in the context of the the slave, the black folks in the South. Here's the way it goes. What you going to do when the river overflows? I'm going to sit on the porch and watch it go. What you going to do when the hogs all drown? I'm going to wish that I had higher ground. What you going to do when the cow floats away? I'm going to throw in after her a bale of hay. What you going to do when the flood enters the room? I'm going to sweep her out with a thick straw broom. What you going to do when the cabin leaves? I'm going to climb on the roof and straddle the eaves. What you going to do when the boat gives way? I'm going to say, Howdy, Lord, it's Judgment Day. Are you hearing me? You've never seen a trial like Judgment Day. You've never seen a trial like that. And what this passage says, if it says nothing else, is this. That if you happened to get out of this life without one storm ever hitting and you want, but if you could. The biggest trial a person will ever face is the trial of judgment if he doesn't know Jesus Christ. Better take care of that business. And when you take care of that business, you've taken care of everything you need for this life and the life that follows. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that our faith will be placed in Jesus Christ and our trust in Him. For I ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Our hymn of imitation tonight is 319. We're going to need your help. So will you turn to it? And we're going to sing this hymn of invitation together. There are three invitations. An invitation for you to publicly declare your faith, your trust, your commitment to, your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Being a Christian means that I begin to follow Jesus and I begin to place my trust in Him at a point of time. Would you do that? or perhaps you would like to come and join the fellowship of this church and its disciplines or to rededicate yourself to Christ, while we stand to sing, we invite you to come. and I are really uh, words of commitment request for prayer uh, Ed is saying I don't even know what to say but I, I, I've struggled with ministry all my life and I want uh, God to use me and I'm, I'm all I can say is I'm available to God we're talking about uh, vocational ministry serving him that way to be a better one is said to be a better uh, Wife and, and mother, and one has come to say, "I've got things that about which I have no control. I pray that God will take control of." It. Another to say, "I have a brother; it's in jail; it's lost. Would you pray that he be saved?" And God has spoken in our heart. God will answer that which He has prompted us to pray. And he's bound to do that. Let's thank Him for it as we are dismissed. Father, we thank you for what our heart experiences when we're in your presence and the hope that we have when we hear your word. And we thank you for the storms that come that cause us to turn to you and to to look to you, to cry out to you. I pray for that need that each of us has. That you'll meet it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.